Hey, what's up, everybody? Felony Friday host John Odermatt here. Before we start today's show, I want to tell you about a great coffee company, Lorenzotti Italy. This is a company started by libertarians, two guys, Robert and Zach. They couldn't be more different, but they both love coffee. And they love that experience of that small, independent coffee shop. They actually love it so much that not only are they a coffee company that sells delicious coffee, but they help entrepreneurs and coffee enthusiasts set up their own business with equipment and financing and all that stuff. So what you can do to help them out and to help us out a little bit is you can go to laurenzotti.coffee, that's .coffee, not .com, and enter discount code LIONS for 10% off your order. Check it out at Lorenzotti Italy. Coffee is their passion. They're just two guys who want to bring an excellent coffee to the U.S. and make business easier and more profitable for the passionate entrepreneurs who provide the best coffee experiences for their patrons. Check it out, Lorenzotti.coffee. Enter promo code LIONS for 10% off. Welcome to Felony Friday a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here at Lions of Liberty, we have a bit of a uh, variety channel. My Friday show, Felony Friday, is one of the great shows, but there's two more. On Monday and Wednesday, Monday show hosted by Mark Clare, Wednesday by Brian McWilliams. They both bring their own flavor and flair to the podcasting game. Check those out. Subscribe to Lions of Liberty on your podcasting app to get all three. And today's episode of Felony Friday is another great one. I have an awesome guest lined up who is going to share another story of injustice in the criminal justice system. And we're going to shine a light and we are going to keep the momentum going. Keep the momentum going for change in the criminal justice system. So share this show, tell a friend, text it to a friend, tell a stranger on the street. I don't care. Enjoy today's show. On today's episode of Felony Friday, I'm joined by Adam and Roe Claussen. Adam was sentenced to 213 years in a federal prison and he was just released on compassionate release after serving 20 years. You might remember Roe. She was a previous guest on this show back on episode 179. Um, on that show, of course, she was advocating for Adam's release and sharing about her YouTube channel, Strong Prison Wives, where she makes videos uh, in relation to supporting um, people who have loved ones uh, in prison. Adam and Roe, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Well, it's great to have both of you on this show. And, you know, I've had a couple uh, you know, spouses on in the past who have, who have a loved one incarcerated. And I always say at the end of the show, hopefully, you know, I can have you on again with both of you here. So it's great to actually see this come to fruition and uh, see you both together on the screen. So congratulations on your release, Adam. And, uh, you know, I kind of just want to start there. So start at the, at the part of the story where you, you find out you're, you're getting out of prison. If you guys could both kind of take me through um, what that was like for each of you. You want to start with when you got the news? Sure. 
about a week prior to Adam being released, it was a Monday afternoon. I got a call from Adam's attorney. His name is Sean. And he said, Ro, I got a notification from the judge that he granted his compassionate release and he was jumping up and down and he was screaming. And he said, actually, when he got the email, his wife was in the other room and she came running to make sure he was okay because he was screaming so much. And in hindsight, I must have looked like a crazy person because I was very stoic and I didn't have much of a response because for I was involved in the case for 11 years out of the 20 that Adam was incarcerated. And it was these and we felt like we were really close and then it would crash because everything would get ripped away from us. And the longer this went on, the higher the highs felt and the lower the lows felt. So I was afraid to get attached to any kind of an outcome. So he told me that that following Friday, there was going to be a resentencing hearing. So that Friday, a car, and I drove six hours because we were hoping he would be released. There was no, it, nothing was set in stone. There was no decision yet, but we were very confident that he would get time served. So I got in the car, I packed the car. I packed the car literally from the trunk all the way through the back seat. I was shocked that there was room in the car for either one of us. And I drove there and about an hour away from me hitting the town where he was, I got a call from the attorney and he said, wrote one as great as it possibly could, but the judge decided that he wanted to take his time before issuing a decision. He also told me that conversation that it started out a little bit rocky. And the first thing the judge said was, what if we resentenced him to 30 years? At this point, he had done 20 years and five months. So, which of course was, we believed more than enough time, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking, great, here we go. Now I'm thinking he's going to get out, but he's going to actually have to do 10 more years. And you know how the brain works that of course I fixated on that negative. And I even asked him, I said, what's the likelihood of that happening? He said, he's not, I don't, I genuinely don't think he's going to do that. And that's coming from an attorney and you know, they watch their words very closely. So, but I still, I fixated on that. And so, I wanted to prepare you for that of scenario. Course, of course. Yep. So I stayed in a hotel room overnight, but I had a decision to make that Saturday morning here and just wait an indefinite amount of time for this decision to come through sitting in a hotel for a hundred dollars a night, taking days off of work doesn't make sense. So I got in the car and I drove the six hours home without Adam. And although this was such good news and it was the closest we ever were, it was still crushing to me. So I drove home and I had to go about my life that Monday, which is a regular Monday, although I felt very down and depressed. Tuesday morning, I got Sorry. a call. Even before you get to that, yeah, can I jump in? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, jump in. Let me go back to that Friday when we initially got the news. First of all, the judge, when he issued this opinion, granting a motion for a compassionate release, it was huge. It, it should have been incredible news. I should have been jumping up and down when the attorney told me. But just like Roe, I had that same hesitation. Like I was like, man, this is what we've waited for, but is it really going to happen? Because mm -hmm. we had asked for an immediate release. Now, when the judge granted the motion, he said, well, I'm going to grant the motion, but I'm not going to give you immediate release. We're going to hold a separate hearing. 
So for me, I'm always trying to balance out, you know, when she asks, well, what does this mean? You know, I'm eternally optimistic, but I'm also extremely pragmatic. I'm grounded in reality. That's the only way that we've been able to make it through this. Like you've got to be realistic about the situation. And so we were cautiously optimistic that, okay, this is it. It's finally happening. We should be feeling good about this, but both of us kind of shared that apprehension. Now I got to admit the following Friday, when we had the sentencing hearing, I was the one that told her, get in the car, just get in the car and get up here. If they grant this thing, you know what I mean? Like I, I want you to be outside so I can come straight out and you and I can just get out of here and get on with our life. Like that's what it felt like. And until that came, like it wasn't going to be real. So I didn't want to delay that at all. However, when the attorney came back, I had to call him that afternoon and it got later and later. And I finally reluctantly called and I said, what's happening? What happened with the sentencing? He says, well, it went great, but I could hear the hesitation, the Mm -hmm. but I'm like, okay, so (laughs) what am I missing here? He goes, listen, it went great. Everybody agreed that you should get time served, but the judge isn't ready to issue his decision. I said, well, what does that mean? What do do you mean he's not ready? He goes, hopefully it's not going to take too long. I'm like, well, listen, time is relative, right? Like how long is not too long? A day? A month? Like what are we talking about here? And he goes, I'm hopeful that it'll be soon, maybe even before the day is over. So I'm like, oh. So she's up there already. And we're like, okay. As it gets later, I'm like, it's not going to happen today. So I I guess we were both kind of resigned to the fact like, well, now we got to wait. We have this weekend. That's when she gets in the car and she goes back. Now, keep in mind, when she left to come up there, she just hopped in the car, had everything packed up and just sped up there. You know, I know how much stress that must have been on her. And I felt so guilty for for really encouraging her like, "Yeah, yeah, just get up here. Then when it didn't, you know, work out, now she's got to turn around and drive all the way back home. And I know the disappointment, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm feeling the same disappointment. I can only imagine what it's like for her. So that's where I need to hop into though. Go ahead. So yes, he told me to get in the car, but for your listeners who Mm -hmm. have a loved one who's incarcerated, especially those of us that are the significant other of somebody, that was my decision to get in the car. I could not imagine on the teeny tiny little chance that he got out that day after 20 years and I wasn't there to witness it. That was heartbreaking. And then if I had waited and then I had to, he's waiting outside of prison and I have to drive six hours. I would, Oh my gosh. So (laughs) yes, it was excruciating and it was heartbreaking in the moment, but looking back, I'm honestly glad I did it. It sucked. It, frankly, it was probably one of the hardest weeks of my whole entire life. But what if he did get released that day right. and I wasn't there? So I'm sure I'm I'm positive your your listeners can relate to that. Okay, go ahead, keep going. No, I think it's a good place for for you to pick up. Where what happened when you got back? So full disclosure, I was so nasty that weekend because I was burnt <laughs> out, and I was at the point where I was thinking, can I do this anymore? And how much longer can I do this for? And as crazy as that is, because 
we were the closest we had ever been. It just felt like it was dragging on and on. And I have that 30 years in the back of my head. So this Tuesday morning, I get up and I'm still working from home because of COVID. And I was just about to sign into my computer for work. I was going to sign in. I was going to make breakfast. And then I was going to start to clean out the car that I had packed to pick him up. And I signed in. Now I have stuff all over the counter getting ready to make breakfast. And I get a call from the attorney again. And I was like, Hey, what's up? Like not even excited about anything. And he goes, they granted it. Adam got immediate release. And I said, should I go up there now? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, yes. So of course I showered as fast as I could. I literally left everything all over the counter. I got in the car And about 30 minutes into my drive, the attorney calls and he said, are you in the car? I said, yeah. He goes, turn around. And I just bust out laughing because at this point I'm like, what else can happen? So he's reading the order in real time to me. And he said, the order says he needs to be released by Thursday at noon. And then I hear the light bulb over his head. Wait a second. That says by Thursday at noon. This is Tuesday morning at 1030. So he said, let me make some phone calls and see if I can get him out because it's immediate. He should be out right now, but the judge was giving them like, he has to be out by this time. So I just kept driving because I figured even if it wasn't until Thursday at noon, then it's only a hotel room. At least I know it's Mm -hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I'm getting him. So literally for the next 12 hours, Every 10 to 15 minutes, I was on the phone between the attorney, Adam's mother, friends, people trying to help us out because the BOP, the Bureau of Prisons, did not want to let Adam out. And I'll let you pick up from the inside version of that. But we were having issues with the address he was supposed to release. They were just holding on for dear life. I'll let you tell that part. Yeah. And that's that's where things really it was unfortunate that what should have been so joyful for us getting this news. Mm -hmm. Uh, they it really just sapped all the the joy and excitement out of it. Made it a really stressful experience for all of us. Now, when she got the news at 10:30 a.m. on Tuesday morning, I had no clue. I didn't know any of this was going on. I'm at work. I'm working in a wood shop in the prison. It's like a secluded area, especially with COVID. There's only a handful. There's five of us that work down there. And after we didn't get the news on Monday. I was kind of resigned to the fact, I'm like, well, time, it's relative. It might be a month. It might be longer. We don't know when this thing's coming. So by Tuesday, I put it out of my head. I go down to work, normal day, and it's not until mid-afternoon, yeah, about mid-afternoon on Tuesday, when I hear the buzzer to come into the shop and they don't have the keys. My boss has to go over there and open the door. So I look over and I can see through the window. I go, man, that sure looks like my case manager. And one of the one of the guys who runs receiving and departures, the only reason they would be here is if they were coming down here looking for me and they had some kind of news. Mm -hmm. This is what's in my mind, but I'm still hesitant. I'm like, "Eh, I don't want to believe, you know, it's good news. It can't possibly be happening. Not this way. So my boss goes over, he opens the door. And as the two of them walk in very nonchalantly, they walk over and I'm like waiting expectantly. Like I finally have to ask them, like, are you here for me? You know, and I'm kind of joking with them. And they're like, yeah, we've been looking for you. I said, all right. They're like, you ready to leave? 
I'm like, what do you mean? What do you, what are you telling me here? They're like, you got immediate release. You ready to go? I'm like, go like, what, what do I got to do? How do yeah, let's go. And they're like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. They're like, we need some more information from you. It's going to take a minute. I'm like, uh, here we go. Like just the way that they delivered it, you know, kind of, yeah, we're, we're not letting you go just yet. Not just yeah. yet. And then it was like, put the brakes back on, slow down. I said, so what's the earliest? What's the earliest I'm going to be out of here? They're like, well, realistically, probably not until 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. I said, you know what? I, I think I can survive a couple more hours. I've made it 20 years, five months, right? What's a couple more hours? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's what's going through their mind. Like, ah, he can do a couple more hours. So in, in all of this, going through my head. I'm like, okay, well, what do you need me to do? They said, why don't you come back to the unit so we can get this information from you? I've got tools out. I've got all sorts of stuff going on, but I go over and I tell the other guys in the shop, they haven't, they haven't really seen what's happening or who I'm talking to. And I go over and I tell one of them, I go, Hey, I got it. And he looks at me. I says, I got immediate release. And he just starts going crazy. He's grabbing me, hugging me, yelling, and I'm like, man, this guy's more excited than I am, right? <laughs> like, I wish I could be this excited, but I still like there's this, uh, just this apprehension that's, that's grabbing me and I can't quite shake it. So I tell him, I said, listen, I got to go back. He said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of everything for you. Go do what you got to do. So I go back to my housing unit. And when I get back there, my case manager tells me she's on the phone with U.S. probation And they're saying, well, the address that we have, that we, the BOP, have for you is this address over in New Jersey, which was your arrest address 20-odd years ago. That's where you're going. I said, time out. That's definitely not where I'm going. I I don't know who lives there now, but they definitely don't want me coming there, showing up on the doorstep, right? I said, my entire plan, everything that we've submitted to the court, everything that we've talked about, the support that we have, that's in Las Vegas. Like our whole plan is to hop in the car, drive across the country to Las Vegas. I said, I, we need to make a change here. They're like, well, I, we don't know if we can do that. So I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like the court says I get immediate release. I'm supposed to be let out of here. You're telling me I can't leave until I have this address. So how do we resolve this? Eventually, I get access to a phone. Now, when you're on the inside, generally the only phones that we have access to are recorded. uh, It's almost like a pay phone Mm -hmm. that's bolted to the wall and you can make one 15-minute call every 30 minutes. So they're trying to tell me, well, why don't you go out there and, and make a call? I said, I'm never going to secure a different address, get this done, speak to my attorney, unless you give me access to the legal phone. Reluctantly, they give me access to the phone. And for me, this is the first time I've ever had access to where I can just dial the numbers and really? call people. Wow. So 20 years, all of a sudden, now I'm on the phone. Like This is a big first step for me. <laughs> so I'm calling her. I talk to her. I talk to the attorney. I call a number of other people. I'm like, listen, I need an address in Pennsylvania. How are we going to get this done? What we initially submitted to the court at first was like a a residence in, uh, basically like a hotel that had Mm -hmm. an extended stay. 
the court came back and said, no, we're not going to let you release there because the requirement was that I would have to quarantine for 14 days in Pennsylvania. They said, no, you can't go to a hotel, even though we had it all paid for and taken care of. So that was, that was the whole reason driving this was because you had to quarantine. They needed an address in Pennsylvania. Yep. Yep. They wanted me to stay there in PA. So that didn't work out. So my co-defendant who has been out successfully completed his lengthy term of probation was on my approved visiting list. He says, you can come stay with me and, and my wife, his pregnant wife. I'm like, well, that's not the best situation. I don't mean to put you out, but if that's what we got to do for 14 days, hey, they submit that to the court and the court says, wait a minute, you want to stay where? With who? This is his original co-defendant on the case. They're like, no, that's not a good idea. We're not going to approve that either. At this point, we're getting desperate. So everyone's reaching out, trying to make a connection. My mother decides she's going to make a phone call to an individual who has expressed his support. He's spoken on my behalf. And she says, let me call this guy. Unbeknownst to me, when she comes back and we get the news that she's not only reached out to this individual, but that he has said, you know what? You can come stay with my family and I. I'm like, no, no, we can't do that. Certain people, I mean, their generosity is just unbelievable mm-hmm. but this was something i just wasn't even comfortable i'm like man we we can't impose like this because uh, you didn't you didn't know him or it was a it was a person that i had developed a relationship with over the years mm-hmm. who was involved in government who as i said had been a supporter of mine spoken in mm-hmm. support but this guy is ready to open his door open his home for Roe and I to come and stay with him for 14 days quarantined, just coming out of prison after 20 years. Like that's, we felt like we were overstepping. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a public figure. To be honest, my main concern in that moment was I don't want this to anyway. I mean, such an act of generosity. The last thing I would ever want, would be for this to somehow negatively impact him. So that was a concern that we had. Um, yeah, and, and it, it could have pushed you all into the into the public eye. Right exactly. There. Yeah. And, and that was a concern. However, that address, when it was submitted, the court never said a word. They, <laughs> they said, you're going, where? we're definitely, we'll sign that. Good luck. We'll see you later. So that's what it took to get it approved. Now, before we could go to the next step and me actually walk out the door, because my attorney was involved, because he pushed so hard on the BOP to get this address finalized, to get me out the door, it created a great deal of friction to where they weren't even speaking to me by the time I was finally released. And I have to add this part. I'm sorry. So remember this started Tuesday, 10 o'clock in the morning. We didn't get that address until Wednesday at two o'clock in the afternoon. So now mm-hmm. we're, yeah, a day and a half later of back and forth calls and everybody dragging Adam. And sorry, I just wanted to clarify stress. that. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the, the stress of the situation. 
a crazy 24 hours um, to finally have it solidified. When I approached them, I said, well, are we good now? And they said, well, if you didn't lie to us this time, you should be getting out. I'm like, excuse me, lie to you. They said, well, you shouldn't have lied to us about the original address. And at this point I was like, well, I guess I'm taking responsibility for everything that went wrong here. It's all on me. I apologize for whatever it was. Please accept my apology. I'm just trying to get out the door. Let me preserve, you know, what little bit of happiness I have left in this moment. Get me out the door. They come back. It's later that afternoon. And they say, Clausen, we need you. Come on back here. So I go back there. They said, we need the phone number of this individual where you're going to be staying. I said, I don't have it. I said, I can call Roe and get it from her. So they let me get on the phone. I call her. I get the phone number. I relay it. I said, do you have an update? When am I leaving? They said, the sooner you hang up, the sooner you can leave. Can I, I cut it? Go I said, ahead. well, I better go. Click. In the meantime, I get that call. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. I hadn't eaten in almost a day and a half. I was so stressed out. So, and again, still back and forth, back and forth with the attorney. So I hung up the phone with Adam. I called the attorney and I said, he just called me and asked me for the release address phone number. I think it's a good sign. And I, the words he was saying to me were, yeah, it's possible he'll get out today. We have to wait for count, this and that. But the tone in his voice told me a different story. He sounded defeated. So I, at that point, resigned myself to it not happening before 12 o'clock on Thursday, like the paperwork said. I'm standing outside of a restaurant and I walked in to get myself food because I knew at this point I needed to eat. And one of my girlfriends who did about close to 10 years in prison called me and she wanted an update. And I told her and she said, Oof. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the fact that his phone and his email are still turned on, that's not a good sign. They would have turned off his email if he was getting out today. And the fact that he called, I didn't know what phone he had called me from. I'm not paying attention. Mm -hmm. So the fact that his phone is still on, mm, I don't know. So I was like, all right. So as soon as I walked out, I was in the back office when I made that call. To get, the, to get the information from her. Soon as I walked out of the back office and they locked the door, I went over to the regular pay phones that we can normally use and I picked up because I wanted to call her back. We, you know, we hung up rather abruptly and I was concerned about how she was doing. So I went to dial the number and it wouldn't let me access my phone. And I said, wait a minute, that's a good sign. Same thing she's being told on the other side. If his phone's on, it's a bad sign. Well, the phone's off. So I run over to the email. I go to log on the email. I'm locked out. I'm like, man, is it really happening? Like, am I leaving? And I look around, I'm looking for some sort of sign and I got nothing. So I go over to my cell and I've got all my stuff packed. I've got this cart with everything on it all ready to go. And one of the counselors, as I said, they're not talking to me. He comes out and he goes, Clawson, hey, let's go. I said, where are we going? He said, are you coming or not? And I'm, I don't know what he wants. And he's not explaining. I said, where are we going? Am I leaving? He was like, oh, you don't want to come? So he walks out the door and locks it. And I'm like, oh, why are these people playing with my head like this? You know, this isn't right. So he leaves and I'm like, oh, man, I got to get out of here. 
I go back to myself. I grab the cart. I take the cart. I bring it over to the front door. I don't know where the officer who works the housing, you know, I'm looking for him. He finally comes around. He's like, are you ready? I was like, am I leaving? He says, yeah, you can leave. I said, open the door, man. Get me out of here. So all of these guys, there's probably about a hundred guys on the unit. So they're all looking. They're like, are you actually leaving now? I'm like, I'm out of here. I'll see you guys later. And I take off out the door. Now, due to COVID, there's no movement on the compound. So it's literally just me pushing this cart piled with books and other stuff that I'm taking home. And I'm trying to get out of here as fast as possible. I got to make my way all the way across to get up by the front door. Now, in order to get out, I have to go through what's called receiving and departures, R&D. When I make it to the door, the door is open. I go in and the people that are in there just get quiet. They don't want to talk to me. I'm like, are you guys ready for me? Am I leaving? They're like, give us a minute. I'm like, I guess that means yes. So I just push my cart off to the side and I stand there and I wait as they take their time with their paperwork. And at this point, I'm like, you know, I was forced to hang up with my wife before I had a chance to tell her she doesn't know that I'm being released. Mm -hmm. Can I please call her? They're like, don't worry about it. We'll take care of that. So I'm on the phone with that same girl standing in the restaurant and I get a call on the other line. I said, I think this is Adam. Let me call you back. And it wasn't Adam. It was somebody at the facility. And she says, you can come get Clawson now. So... Okay, good. I get in the car. I sped there as fast as I could. And anybody that has a loved one in prison knows I've dreamt about this day for the past 11 and a half years. I've seen it in my head over and over. I'm ugly crying. It's like the greatest day of my life, the happiest life. But it didn't go down like that because of all of that stress. Mm-hmm. So you want to you continue about, about how I out? get out? Yeah, go ahead. Eventually, they process me. Again, nobody wants to talk to me. And it's not until I sign the very last paper and we're getting ready to walk. There's a a main building out to the front building and we have to walk through a couple gates. And it's finally when I'm alone with this one woman and she goes, why did you have to make this so difficult? I said, excuse me? She said, why did you make this so difficult? All you had to do was just go along with that first address that was, on, that was in the paperwork. I said, because it wasn't the right address. She goes, well, you could have just waited till you were out and then asked your attorney to take care of all this. I said, if I would have done that, I would have been in violation. I said, even before I walked out the door, I waited 20 years for this moment to get here. I'm not going to screw it up now. That's not something that you can put on me. I said, there was no way I was going to do that. I she think said, I, well, I you think I get it. They just, yeah. they just didn't want to do any work. No. You, made, you made them do work. They were so <laughs> mad about that work. Man. She said, you made this so difficult for us. I said, oh, yeah. my God. I said, you know what? I, I apologize. Just please get me out the door. So, again, here we go with my cart, and we make it down to the last gate. It just so happens to be shift change. So all the officers are coming out and there's new officers coming in. They're not going to let me go until all of them are out of the way. 
These are officers that I've known. I've been at this facility for 10 years. Mm -hmm. They all know that I'm leaving. They all know that I had this crazy 213-year sentence. Honestly, I'm thinking most of them would be happy for me, but because of what happened in those last couple days, none of them will look at me. They won't talk to me. Nobody wants to congratulate me. Like this, again, it's supposed to be a momentous day. And not just for me, it's like, man, like this is a, an incredible thing that just doesn't happen. Be happy for us. You know, the worst part about that in my mind too, is that the reason that he was awarded this compassionate release was because of his record. He has not had anything on his record for mm-hmm. over a decade, decade, close to two. It's not like he was this troublemaker in and out of the hole that they should have had this chip on the shoulder that they didn't want to let him out. It was almost like they were pissed that they were losing a good one it, in a weird, crazy way. Sure. No, that's, that's very, very true. That's, and Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that the reason I was granted this was due to the extraordinary and compelling nature of, the, of my achievements in prison, the things that I was able to accomplish, mm-hmm. the relationships I was able to build, not just you know, the bridging the, the gap between the population, my peers and I, and the staff, but outside community members, members of law enforcement, members of the court system, U.S. probation that were, were coming into the facility that we were working with, we developed these partnerships to ensure that guys had a smooth transition from inside to out. And here I am getting my opportunity to go out And it's like all of these additional obstacles are being placed in my path unnecessarily. I'm like, man, the irony in this, you know, that I work so hard to help so many others accomplish this Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not getting that same for myself. So it was, it was frustrating, but to finally get to that front door, when I wheel up my cart, I make it through the last metal detector, the last person, and I get out to... It's a small waiting room where visitors coming into the prison, anytime they, they come in to see a loved one, they put them in this waiting room out front before they can get processed in. They tell me, yeah, just go over here, take your cart and, and wait in there. I'm like, am I free? Like, it's official. I can walk out the door. They're like, when she gets here, and they just walk away. So here I am alone in this room with my cart, with my books pacing back and forth, looking out the window, waiting for her to pull up, which eventually she does. You want to pick it up from there? So I pull out. Well, I was in the car, of course, speeding. Like I said earlier, it's about a 15 minute drive from where I was to the facility. Mm -hmm. And I got there and this very sweet woman was at the front kind of like a long 50 yard driveway before you get to the front of the facility and they were making people sign covid waivers she had me roll down the window and i said to her i'm here to pick up an inmate that's being released and she said okay and she was very very sweet and she helped me fill out the form and then it dawned on her she said are you here to pick up clausen and i said yeah i am and she said oh please tell him this is so and so said that she is so happy for him. And I'm just so grateful that he got this opportunity, this and that. And she turned everything around for me in that moment, thank God. So I thanked her, I said, absolutely, I'd relay the message. And I just drove up to the front of the facility and Adam's walking out. And like I said, I thought I'd be overly emotional and I thought I'd be hysterical crying and nothing because 
it was this weird feeling that mm. took over me that I knew that among all the stress and I didn't know what he'd be going through. And throughout the years, because I run an organization called Strong Prison Lives and Families, it's a nonprofit support group for loved ones of the incarcerated. And I developed it in 2009. So I've had experience with all of these people who have gone through release. And I've heard all these horror stories about the PTSD and how he's going to be jumpy and emotional and this and that. So that's what I'm expecting. And so this took over my body, this strength, and I knew I needed to be the strength for him. So he walked out and we quickly embraced, you know, he wheeled his little cart, left it, we embraced. And this man walks out who was an officer. And in the back of my mind, this whole week, I remember this story about a man who had been, was supposed to be released the same way as Adam and his family came to pick him up. And he was changed out into his street clothes and he was walking out, probably wheeling a similar cart that Adam was wheeling out. And his family could see him and they turned him around and said that the government issued a stay. So and Chad, they were appealing. Chad Marks, Chad Marks correct. Yeah. Yep. Just a couple weeks prior yeah. to my release. Every call with the attorney, I was like, but Sean, what about Chad? And he was trying to calm me down. So I have Chad in the back of my mind this whole time because the minute I heard about Chad's story, I thought, his family are superheroes because I don't know that I could recover from being there to pick him up. And they're like, nope, go home. It was bad enough that I had to go home and come back three days later. This man, as I'm picking up Adam, says, Clawson, they need you back inside. My heart fell to my toes. And I looked at him and I said, get in the car. We're leaving. And do you want to keep going? Do you want to tell that part? At that point, I tell her, he's just kidding. Six cents of humor, right? Bad joke, bad timing. Thankfully, he was only kidding. But honestly, at that point, it was like, we need to get in the car and get out of here. Now, what she didn't tell you was, you know, she said she was calm and collected. Remember, I'm in this visiting room or in the, in the little room looking out the window and I'm watching her pull up. So as she's coming, I take the cart and I come rolling it out and I'm looking at her and she's in the car just kind of sunglasses on, cool as could be, laid back, like, how you doing? I'm like, what? I'm like, wow, she's taking this pretty well, right? But I didn't understand, you know, what she was, what was going on with her. So I walk around, I'm like, just pull in, park, just stop. Like, I just can't wait for her to get out of the car. It's not going to be real until I can actually feel her, touch her, have her in my arms. And when I finally did, I was like, ah. Oh. Because we hadn't seen each other prior to this in almost a year. Almost a year, yeah. Because of COVID. So, man, and it, you know, it was a tough year, but to finally have her in my arms, I'm like, okay, now it's real. But that, that little joke about coming back in, that was just a reminder, okay, we need to get out of here. Like, let's, let's move on, all right? We're here, we're together. I get in the car and she wasn't lying. When she said that she had the car packed, <laughs> She had told me this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of room. There was no room. I could barely fit. My seat was like pushed up. My knees were on the dashboard. You know, she had this thing packed for us to travel cross country. But we got in the car. We took off. We made it to the front gate. And we did stop. Before we left, I, I wanted to, to stop and take a moment. And again, they will not let you shoot on federal property, take any pictures. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we pulled across the street and 
standing just offside off the property. We took a couple pictures in front of the sign. I wanted to be able to remember this, even though it wasn't that joyful experience that we were hoping for. I wanted to have that memory, you know, of, of walking out the door of man, just achieving the impossible, you know, like this was something that we dreamed about, talked about, envisioned for so many years. That was the, you know, the fruition of, of all those conversations and, and yeah, it, it was real. So I'm glad we got a chance to capture it, at least in that regard. I think we so, took all three minutes answering your first question. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I, you guys kind of interviewed each other there going back and forth. That was, that was cool to see. Hey, just want to take a real quick minute here to talk about another Libertarian podcast. If you haven't listened to Good Morning Liberty, it's a five-day-per-week show. Nate and Charlie, I don't know how they do it, five days per week, pumping out fantastic content. Also, um, their Twitter game, I have to say, I've been following them on Twitter, is on point. At Good AM Liberty, check it out. I don't know if it's Nate or Charlie running the account, but whichever one is doing it, fantastic job. Um also, their, their show. So what is their show? They are trying to really take the onus of trying to change people's minds of how uh, people view libertarians. And they're trying to do this by leading with a message of compassion first, rather than, um, you know, pounding on your keyboard and screaming at people like libertarians uh, love to do. So they're looking at ways in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. Uh, they both have uh, backgrounds in healthcare. They own a healthcare IT company. Check it out. Good Morning Liberty, wherever you get your podcast. You can also um, subscribe to their podcast by going to BernieLies.com, which uh, in an aw- so awesome redirects right to their uh, their podcast links page. So check that out. Good Morning Liberty. So you did 20 years and then... You know, you two were, were together for the last 11. At what point did you really develop that hope of, of getting released? Mm. I, I would say, and I don't want to entirely speak for her, but I knew even early on that she believed, you know, coming into this, she knew how much time I had. And as I said, you know, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, but I'm also extremely pragmatic. I'm always going to lay lay out, lay bare, you know, what the facts are. And, and early on in our relationship, there was not much to focus on. Sentencing reform had been talked about, but there wasn't a great deal of traction for it. So that was early on. But I always personally always believe that at some point, uh, you know, somebody was going to look at this sentence and be like, 213 years. Are you, are you serious? You know, reason would eventually prevail. Like somebody's going to give me a chance. I knew that I also had to do my part to earn the opportunity for someone to get behind me. I had to do something of substance to where somebody could say, you know what? I believe in this guy and because he's accomplished X, Y, and Z, I'm going to go ahead and put my name on a piece of paper that says I believe in him because talk is good. But when you can get someone to, to put down, you know, on paper that, that they believe in you, that, that they support you, 
that's a different level of commitment. And I knew it was going to take a lot to do that. Um, I was very fortunate that over the years, through the, the things that I was doing, that I felt purpose-driven to do while I was incarcerated and, and helping others avoid the, the same situation I ended up in and to make sure that they were better prepared for their release, throughout that process, um, just by doing those things, that support network around me, that, that really grew. And those people that I couldn't envision being advocates for me in the future, like my attorney, Sean Hopwood, he wasn't an attorney, you know, a world-renowned Georgetown law professor when he and I first met, when we started talking. You know, he had just been released from federal prison. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my dear friend out here, John Ponder. John told me about his vision for Hope for Prisoners when we were on the prison rec yard together. Wow. You know, these are relationships that I developed over many years and with all of the, the people that came in later, the government officials, the judges, the U.S. probation officers, the U.S. attorneys who were invested in what we were doing, to think that they would get behind me and support my release was incomprehensible. That's not something that I ever could have envisioned or planned for. And, you know, so many things had to go just exactly right for me to eventually get this compassionate release that you know, uh, whatever your spiritual or religious inclinations are, mm-hmm. you know, I have to attribute it to, to something far greater than, than myself. You know, um, clearly there's greater forces at work. And I, I just feel incredibly fortunate to have had the experience that I had and the support that I had built over those years. Well, I have to say this. <laughs> when we got back in touch and I first learned about Adam's case. I think I was, I was 30 or 31 at that point. And I think I slipped into a denial where I told myself, well, we're going to solve this and he's going to get out by the time I'm 35. And then that didn't happen. It was like, by the time I'm 36 and I would play these games with myself. And I think I always believed that he would be home eventually a lot of it, I think, was denial. I mean, until he came home, I was just the crazy girl that was following around this inmate that was lying to me, according to so many people. And I just had to keep the faith. And I remember it was maybe about a year ago because we had some really close calls with clemency. We heard his petition had made it up to the vice president's desk. They were ready to sign it. And we literally just ran out of time. That was probably one of the most not probably. That was one of the most stressful times of my whole life, Would you especially for talk about with when Obama was president or. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So and then and that was in 2016. So mm-hmm. right after that, and I had some people, some close girlfriends who had gone through all of this with me. And one of my friends, when she watched me in a depressed part of this, she said, I believe that Adam will be home, too. I genuinely believe that. But why don't you start living your life as if he'll never come home? Because right now on paper, that's the truth. And this way, you won't be crushed these times where it doesn't happen when you think it's going to happen and something, you know, how government and law and all that works. So I tried it for about a day and a half and I got so down that it was it was awful. It was so difficult to live like that. And so that's why I say, I think a lot of it was just denial and it was kind of a coping mechanism after a while, 
But I always knew in my gut that he would be home. I never knew how, and I never knew when, but I just knew that I had to keep the faith. And I developed the nonprofit in order to give me a a constructive outlet for all of that, for that energy, for all of that emotion, for all of, to just to help everybody, to give it a purpose. Exactly. Thank you. That's interesting. I'm uh, referring to it as denial. And I I think there's there's a great learning point here for, you know, not only for, you know, getting a loved one out of prison, but really for achieving anything in life. And it's going to sound weird to say this, but I heard this on a recent podcast with Mike Tyson on Joe Rogan. And Mike Tyson was talking about the, you know, his greatest fights, his greatest wins and training for them and uh, talking about being a delusional optimist. I love that. Being so optimistic. And, and he said, it's only delusional if it doesn't come true. That's right. If if it comes true, it's not delusional. So I was like, wow, that's really makes a lot of sense. I did not think I'd hear that from Mike, from Mike Tyson, but Great quote from Mike Tyson. Yeah. You know, and that's what I said, because I did an interview probably a few weeks before Adam was released with somebody who was a very big supporter of his. And I said that I said, you know, just from the outside looking in a lesson that I want to pass along is this up until Adam comes home, I'm the crazy girl. But the minute he comes home, people are going to be knocking down our door because we'll be the greatest redemption story. Just remember, everybody has a story. All I am is a girl in love that's trying to help the person that I love get a second lease on life. That's it. Before you judge somebody, just think twice about it. Well, this this has been awesome. Um, this went in a direction I didn't expect, but I loved the way it opened up with the story. And really, you know, I felt like I was there with uh, with you guys talking about it. it uh, <laughs> Really, really unique story of, uh, of coming home and you two getting united. So, so really cool. And I'm glad you guys shared that. Um, we're running out of time, but I just want to really ask you from here, what are your plans going forward? Great question. Uh, right now, I mean, the possibilities are endless. We already achieved the seemingly impossible, right? Mm-hmm. We made all this possible. We're in Las Vegas. Uh, living the life that we dreamed about. And from here, I think it's important, you know, that we continue to share our story, our success, use that to inspire others, those who are going through difficult times. And it doesn't solely have to be individuals who are incarcerated, but obviously, you know, uh, individuals who are, who are languishing in prison under crazy draconian sentences. Uh, that's something that I feel uh, is part of my purpose to continue to advocate for sentencing reform, uh, to make sure that others get that second chance, get a new lease on life, and for us to continue to support the loved ones uh, of all of these individuals to know the challenges that they face, how difficult this experience is on them, the toll that it takes, to make sure that they are still supported, that strong prison wives and families is able to thrive, provide greater uh, resources and support to those people. You know, I think that's a a large part of our mission going forward. Yeah, and we have had some struggles. we've, We've been extremely blessed in the situation that we walked into without them being released and the people that have helped us genuinely. Oh, so blessed that it makes me emotional. But 
of course, there have been some struggles with getting ID, getting a bank account set up. It's really been difficult. So we've been chronicling almost every day the issues, the ups, the downs, everything on our YouTube channel so we can pass along some information to help people when it's their turn to go through it. Things that we would have maybe done differently had we known, the struggles, how we're overcoming them, those kinds of things. Well, that's great. Well, thank you too so much for coming on this show and really sharing openly, you know, everything, the, the emotions, everything you went through. You know, I think this is a great, a great episode for someone to listen to who has a loved one in prison um, or just, you know, people who just want to hear a success story, who want to hear something good happening in 2020 when uh, it seems like the, uh, the whole world's going mad. So thank you too so much for, uh, for sharing the story today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, I really enjoyed it myself, uh, hearing from Adam and Ro Klassen. You know, I, I do often get get feedback from from you all out there, the, the listeners, and saying that, you know, I love your show, John. It's great shining a light on this broken criminal justice system. But man, it brings me down. That's what you tell me. You tell me sometimes that Felony Friday can make you a little bit depressed. Well, you know what? Sorry. Sorry to hear that. I don't want to uh, make you feel bad, but the truth is these are real stories that are happening and need to be told. So if it makes you feel bad, maybe that's telling you you need to help to do something about it. So number one, I'd like to say, please share not only this show, but other past shows of Felony Friday. But talking about this show today this didn't make you feel too bad, did it? I mean, there was, it's a very unique story, and uh, I love the way that Adam and Roe took us through the play-by-play of Adam getting out of prison. I can't even imagine uh, the emotions and just the the frustration they were going through um, while he was going through that last 24 hours or so of <laughs> trying to get the BOP to release him. But it's a happy ending, and it's so fantastic to be able to, you know, Rose been on the show before, and to be able to bring her back on the show with her husband, out of prison, a free person, they're living their dreams. Doesn't get any better than that, my friends, does not get any better than that. I hope you like this show. Please share it around. Please continue to fight this broken criminal justice system. You know, I haven't talked about the Lions of Liberty store in a long time. Maybe some new listeners here don't know we have a bunch of t-shirts that are available in the store. One of our newest ones and most popular ones being sold. We're selling, they're flying off the shelves every single week here. It's our taxation is death t-shirt. Of course, you've heard libertarians and conservatives say taxation is theft. Well, you know what? It's actually death because that tax money actually goes to the military industrial complex where it gets packaged in little tiny bombs and or huge bombs and they go across the uh, the ocean there in faraway lands and they kill people so taxation is death i'm hoping that this shirt being blunt uh, you know more people wearing it around will really elevate and raise this message up so check it out lions of liberty store to get a discount you can join the lions of liberty pride and uh, you get a discount discount just by being in the Pride. But depending on the level you join at, you can go check it out over at lionsofliberty.com slash Patreon. You might get a, uh, a free T-shirt, depending what level you sign up for. So check that out. 
That's all I got for today, guys. Hope everyone has an awesome weekend, at least for me up here in the Northeast in Pittsburgh. It's supposed to be 80 degrees, probably our last nice weekend. So get outside, enjoy it, stay active. Always remember to keep your head up in the fires of Liberty Burning.